Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Lighthouse Faith Podcast, where we are moving forward in truth and love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book Lighthouse Faith. Well, the widely and wildly watched trial of Johnny Depp and Amber Heard got me thinking about um, about why these two people ever got married in the first place, honestly. Um, but that's true of a lot of marriages that end in divorce. Two people just couldn't get along. But is it really that simple? I mean, I'm watching this trial thinking... How did it get to that point where she's accusing him of this or that? I mean, is it just alcohol? Is it just, you know, they're they're not right for each other? What is it? Like, how do they get to that point? Um, you know, the Bible talks about marriage as the institution created by God, essentially brings a man and a woman together in holy matrimony for the purpose of raising children and creating a community. You know, what millions of cultures throughout thousands of years of history have done. I mean, and I wanted to pull out something from the Church of England's wedding service, um, and it kind of encapsulates kind of what the Bible's message about marriage is and says, quote, marriage is a gift of God in creation through which husband and wife may know the grace of God. It is given that as man and woman grow together in love and trust, they shall be united with one another in heart, body, and mind, as Christ is united with his bride, the church. The gift of marriage brings husband and wife together in the delight and tenderness of sexual union and joyful commitment to the end of their lives. It is given as the foundation of family life in which children are born um, and nurtured in Um, and in which each member of the family, in good times and in bad, may find strength, companionship, and comfort. You know, I'm not an expert um, on this idea of marriage, um, but there's more to this. I'm sorry. There's my, but this is it. Now, marriage is a way of life uh, made holy by God and blessed by the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. With those celebrating wedding at Cana in Galilee, marriage is a sign of unity and loyalty, which all should uphold and honor. It enriches society and strengthens community. No one should ever into it enter into it lightly or selfishly, but reverently and responsibly in the sight of Almighty God. Now, this is this is very serious business as far as the church is concerned. But people make, you know, they make their own vows today. They they live together before the nuptials, and of course, they have sex before that. In fact, Pope Francis was just saying, that, you know, not too long ago. Um, that um, says refusing sex before marriage is cool. It's a cool sign of true love. Um, and in, of course, his remark just triggered a backlash of comments, um, mostly negative. Um, but how much does faith play in choosing a mate? You know, what is marriage? You know, is, is it is it the is it what the Bible describes? Is it what the Church of England describes? What is marriage? Is there one perfect person for each of us? And if you you know, took the wrong train one day, you just missed your chance to run into him or her. Is the ideal um, not to have sex before marriage, as Pope Francis says, is that really better? 
Uh, we are in the month of June, one of the most popular months for a wedding, although 80% of weddings do happen between the months of May and October, but June has a pretty good share of, of about 13%. But the wedding is just the show, really. It's marriage I want to talk about and sort of holding up the Depp heard marriage, divorce, and ugly trial as a sort of cautionary tale about what not to do. Um, as I said, I'm not the expert. I've reached out to a couple who know a thing about faith, about psychology, and about relationships. They are married. He's a Greek Orthodox priest, and she is a psychologist. It's Father Nicholas Lowe and Dr. Roxanne Lowe. And together they use both faith and psychology to understand the human spirit and really all relationships. So I want to welcome them to Lighthouse Faith Podcast. Welcome. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, Lauren. We enjoy being with you. Well, Father Lowe, I wish you remember that, you know, or Father Nick, you know, you've been on before we talked because I met you um, uh, at the, the um, uh, Linton retreat here in uh, New York and uh, just was blown away by just your, you know, your, your just insight into faith and how we actually walk that faith. And I always wanted to have your wife on, Dr. Roxanne Lowe, because you really do work together. Tell me more about kind of how your relationship works. So it's really culminated over many, many, many years. I think what started out as sort of discussing, you know, ideas and patience and sermons um, sort of became this very natural and organic process for, okay, we have this soul, you know, we have these um, moral aspirations, we have, you know, God's design for our life and the ultimate purpose we're supposed to lead, yet we live in a world that shifts us into temptation after temptation after temptation, defining what's important, throwing our flesh around and it's not easy to live in this world and to pursue God at the same time. And so, you know, psychology as the study of human behavior really gives us a lot of really good tools to sort of help this flesh that contains our soul. Um, and it's what helps our body and our mind respond just a bit better to where our soul would like to lead us. Um, because God gave us free will. If we don't have these really good tools, the body that our soul is contained in, unfortunately, can make a lot of really poor choices that uh, prevent God from working in our lives and through our lives. And so that's really become um, kind of how we've learned to work together uh, to integrate um, both of our disciplines um, into something that I think can really help us spiritually to journey into our purpose. Um, now, how long have you two been married? 19 years. Wow. I mean, and you are a Greek Orthodox priest and priests actually can marry. No, priests don't marry, but you can get married before you become a priest, right? Is that what I understand? Correct. Yep. Mm -hmm. How did you two meet? <laughs> it's a really extraordinary uh, story, um, Lauren. We, um, I had just come back from living in Boston. I was doing my doctorate work in counseling up there, uh, and I moved back down. And I just, um, uh, you know, I've been so inundated with my studies, my academics, that, um, but I knew in my heart that I felt, you know, God, I, I really wanted to begin working in the ministry, uh, wanted to begin working in the church. And I just simply prayed before what we call our icon screen um, that has numerous icons on there, most prominently are uh, Christ, um, the Virgin Mary with Christ. Um, and I just simply prayed before the icon screen to said, you know, to Christ. And I said, you know, Lord, um, I know I want to serve you and I want to have this opportunity to, um, to have someone, if it's your will, to have someone in my life that can help um, where I can grow and be challenged in my own walk of faith, but also to help and challenge 
um, others to grow in their walk of faith. And mm -hmm. through an unbelievable set of circumstances that we, we don't have time to talk about today, Roxanne was <laughs> was living in um, in Gain, uh, I'm sorry, in Orlando at that time. And at the time she was doing her master's, this was before she went for her doctorate work, um, happened to surprise her parents in Gainesville. And I was assigned by my main, by the head pastor of my church that I was working in uh, to go to Gainesville at the University of Florida to do some campus ministry. And her parents happened to be attending a Bible study that I was leading. Um, and through just an unbelievable <laughs> set of circumstances, they invited me back home. Roxanne surprised her parents that night. Um, they, had, they, they weren't expecting it. And it was just, um, that was a week after I had said this prayer um, before wow. uh, for Christ. And um, and so, and we've been together for almost 23 years, but married for 19 years. I'll tell you, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lesson here. If you want a great mate, pray about it. Mm -hmm. 100%. Truly, 100%. truly pray about it. I want to get to, you also have a book out and you have a website as well, right? Exactly. Yes, we have a book um, that we published um, last year called Renewing You, A Priest, A Psychologist, and a Plan. And going to what you were sharing earlier, Lauren, we basically take eight of the biggest topics that Roxanne and I see both as a psychologist and as a priest and address them from both the clinical, a psycho psychological perspective, but as well as a faith perspective. Mm -hmm. At the end of every chapter, we kind of give questions that a, a psychologist would ask, uh, along with a prayer to pray. So we deal with topics like what we're going to be talking about today on marriage. How do we renew our marriages? Because for many, for many people, they're simply surviving in their marriage and not thriving in their marriage. We talk about how do we renew our faith? How do we renew our minds? How powerful our thoughts are? Um, how do we renew our, our own personal life? You know, so many of us are operating at the edge of our capacity. We're burnt out. We're tired. How do we create space to allow, as we say, God's grace to come into our life? So we cover these eight topics and from from both those perspectives, and it's been something that we we feel God has put on our heart. Mm -hmm. um, you could find it at Amazon.com, um, and we also on our website, which is the Lowe's.com. That's L-O-U-H-S.com. We also send out every day a daily inspirational message. So if uh, if your listeners are in just in need of a, a daily inspirational message um, that could apply to every single person wherever they are in their walk of faith, no matter what church or tradition they come from, then we just ask you um, and encourage you to go to the Lowe's.com and click on that subscribe button. All you need is your email address. That's all you're going to receive ever. It's just an inspirational message in your inbox every single day. And those wow. are the same principles we're tackling in the inspirations as well, because those are the things of our flesh in our life that yeah. tend to throw off our ability to walk in purpose and walk through the doors of the meaning that he created for us. And so, you know, and again, it's a lot of our stories really come from our own experiences too, and our own seasons of distress that mm -hmm. we ourselves experienced as people who you think would have it all together. You mm -hmm. know, we talk a lot about uh, trials and difficult seasons and how that threw off, you know, uh, these principles in our life as well, and how we had to kind of reset and regain some mm -hmm. tools necessary uh, to get us back on track. So um, hopefully it's pretty relatable because, um, yeah, it's it's our lives and the mm -hmm. lives of many, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's real. I mean, I've been just reading it and it's really quite interesting. Um, one of the, I mean, I hear it's very interesting and it's kind of like, oh, wow, a psychologist talking about walking in the flesh. I mean, you don't hear about a psychologist talk like that, uh, Roxanne. Mm, yeah, you know, it's interesting, but I think science and faith and religion, you know, have always had this sort of antagonistic and very hostile relationship. And quite frankly, I, I don't think I've ever really truly understood it because I feel like they actually fit like a glove, you know, hand in hand, lock and key. Mm -hmm. 
you know, that you, you really can't have one without the other, you know, psychology alone does not necessarily give us the boundaries for what we're trying to return back to. It's free. I mean, it's wherever you want to go. Psychology will take you there. Um, and, you know, faith sort of says, hey, this is this is the boundary. This right. is the container for what you're trying to get back to. It's not just about you. It's not just about your own happiness. It's about what you can contribute in this world through your happiness, right? Through taking care of your body is not just indulgent. It's so that your soul can be a vehicle of love in this world, right? And so, you know, to me, they they complement each other beautifully. But I think like with anything else in this world, Republicans and Democrats, vaccine or no vaccine, we tend to live in this sort of dichotomous zone of I can only be one side or the other. So if mm. I claim this side, I can't possibly be the other. Mm. But I was raised Greek Orthodox my entire life. I was raised in the faith. And um, as I sort of went into, um, I come from a, a family of, of professors and scientists. And so for me, um, my dad was just as much scientist as he was um, strong in his faith. And so I've seen this living example my entire life. And um, I don't think we have to choose. Um, I right. think this is about meeting in the middle and learning to to acknowledge that um, we have to learn from everything that God has put before us. Mm -hmm. um, even Luke was a physician, right? So um, we're meant to use each other's tools, not to bash each other's tools. Well, I think it's very interesting, too, that a lot of people who think they're secular, they say, well, you know, I, people have faith and I just I don't believe. And it's like, but do you you do have faith? Everybody has faith. It just is a matter of where you're putting that faith. Um, you can be putting your faith in in, in, in Jesus Christ, uh, it, it, or you can be putting your faith in your your work, um, your um, you know your abilities. I mean, everybody has faith. You it, you know you you're not. It's just where you're putting that faith. But one of the things that's very interesting is that you you're both Greek Orthodox. Would you recommend that people be of the same faith when they get married? Is that does that ensure a better marriage? I think you know. I, I think. In thinking about that question, I, I think you could handle it maybe a, a number of different ways. I, I think for a lot of people early on in that courtship, especially when faith is important, oftentimes they end up fighting for something that they don't later on live for. Uh, the reality is, Lauren, is that for most couples, only some statistics that are very powerful is that, you know, only 11 percent of couples are actually uh, praying together daily, um, mm. that the average Christian only reads the Bible. Uh, there's only thir only 13 percent of Christians actually read their Bible every day. Um, there's um, the average in in active engagement that a husband has to his wife and vice versa on a day to day basis is only four minutes. So the reality is, is that a lot of what we've been fighting for, you know, almost preeminently or, or, or in going into a, a, a marriage, oftentimes are not things that we actually sustain when we're in that marriage. So I would argue that, yes, if we are going to carry that you know, baton throughout the entire course of not just the courtship, but also in the marriage itself, mm -hmm. I think, yes, it's extremely powerful because our faith shapes our values. It shapes our behaviors. It shapes what we believe. It also allows us to have a lighthouse, as I love your show um, <laughs> title. I mean, it allows this lighthouse to continuously keep us keep us guided. Because without that, as the Bible talks about, we are like a little float out in the middle of the ocean, and we we can tend to go different areas um, if we're not grounded. And Christ, we would argue, is the anchor to that soul. It allows us to keep grounded. And so, yes, I would argue that if we're going to apply it, yes. But the studies are showing today that we fight a good, we, we run a great sprint in the courtship, 
We just don't run a great marathon in the marriage. <laughs> That's really, you know, I want to go back to the the, the Depp Heard trial because, um, you know, here, if you're a journalist working in, and even if you're specialty for religion, um, we all covered the Johnny Depp Heard trial because it was just, it was just wall-to-wall coverage. Um, and, it, you know, one of the things that interests me is what their faith was. I mean, how do you get into this marriage and what level of faith do you have or not have. And, you know, I, so I looked up Johnny Depp and, and Amber Heard. You know, Johnny Depp said he was an agnostic. Um, he doesn't identify with any religion. He called himself a pedestrian. That's actually kind of a, a new kind of religious term. Um, he said his faith is, is in his family and his future. Now, Amber Heard, though, was raised Catholic, but began identifying as an atheist at 16 after her best friend died in a car crash. And she's very typical of people raised in the church that they can't make sense of pain and suffering and trauma. And uh, be, and so they, they, re, they, they leave the religion. You know, they don't know what they're going to, but they just can't believe in a God who would allow their best friend to die in a car crash when, when you're 16 years old. So just from these facts, and I know we I don't know them. You don't know them. We only know what's been up there on the news accounts and in, in the trials, if you've watched parts of it. Um, but just from those facts alone about where they are spiritually, were, were these two destined for divorce, Roxanne? You know, I think it's so hard to say because I know it sounds crazy, but so many people can end up right where they ended up. Um, you know, people walk into marriage with baggage all the time. Mm-hmm. Every one of us. In mm-hmm. fact, Two-thirds of the problems that we fight about uh, in marriage are said to be unsolvable problems, things that we bring into our marriage that are not going to change, like who's emptying the dishwasher or, you know, (laughs) doing what, you know, those are the solvables, but that's only 30% of what we really struggle with. Majority are things that we walk into marriage with. Um, Some of that is pain and suffering in our lives. Some of that is Mm -hmm. a, a dysfunctional and broken value system. Some of that is not knowing how to have control over our emotions. Some of that's not knowing how to fight well. Um, Mm -hmm. Some of that's not knowing the the priority that we need to place on friendship and um, building love that that saying that I love you is not enough to sustain a marriage or being in love is certainly not enough uh, to sustain a marriage. Um, And, you know, and just like we kind of take a driver's license test in the beginning and, you know, to get on the road. Unfortunately, we don't always have enough teaching and education before we walk into marriage that helps us reflect on some of the things that, oh, wow, I'm bringing into this marriage and I need to be, um, you know, taking account of what's mine and help to also carry the burden of my partner, knowing what's theirs and also recognizing I'm responsible for helping to make them better. So we are now a unit. And we are tied toward helping each other grow. Mm -hmm. That is a lot. Okay. And so most people walk in just, we're in love or, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. she's attractive and made a good first impression, or we both have money and fame. Um, And, uh, you know, I definitely think in their situation, money, fame, and self-ambition can definitely um, confuse our purpose, can certainly bleed into, you know, a set of variables that make us not dependent on anything outside ourselves. We learn to become powerful in that, that we don't need anything else because it is our weakness and our humility that remind us we need God. We need Mm -hmm. something outside of ourselves. Um, And so I do think that's a complicating situation for them. But the reality is, can you end up in domestic violence situations? I mean, absolutely. You know, there, mm-hmm. there really are 
two types of abuse in that we see in relationships. Um, and one stems from the, the loss of control, heightened emotional reactivity that we don't know how to control. We sort of enter fight or flight and we're fighting. Um, and when our heart rates are above 100, we, we don't really have great control over mm. uh, what we do at that point. So if we don't know how to check out, we check into a fight. Mm-hmm. Um, they can get out of control <laughs> and blood pressures are high, heart rates are high, and people usually later regret what they did. And they want to say sorry, you know, but it ends up happening again because they don't have good tools to regulate. Then there's the other kind of domestic violence, which is not very um, rehabilitatable. And this is people who are cold and calculated. There is no loss of control. There's no increase in blood pressure when they abuse or when they they act out in violence. They are completely intentional in that. And they're looking for power and they're looking for control. So, wow. you know, we that don't sounds know. sadistic. It, it is. Um, it's scary. Um, you know, they're they're called uh, pythons. I mean, they're they're you know, and wow. the other are kind of pit bulls. You know, they lose control. But um, we don't know what was going on on the inside. But you know, a lot of people can end up in that first scenario where they do not have good c- control over their emotions, and they never learned how to how to manage conflict any differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I see it all the time in really well-intended people who just don't know how to handle anger. Mm-hmm. And you've got fire meeting fire. And so, oh. it, yes, it becomes explosive. Wow. And, you know, and Father Nick, you know, if you met these two before they got married and they were in love, and I don't know where a Greek Orthodox priest would actually be meeting Johnny Depp and Amber mm-hmm. Heard, but let's just <laughs> go there. And just say, if you happen to meet them at some function and we're getting married and and they actually wanted your opinion, what question would you ask them? Well, that's a great question. Um, It's kind of hard to filter that because of what we know now. Um, I I think one of the questions I'd like to I'd like to ask is, you know, why? Why? Why her and why? Why him? I mean, what what is it about them that that attracts you so much to them? Um, I think, Lauren, in many ways, the way that the world itself identifies what a relationship should look like is so different than the way God's way uh, mm. tells us what to look for a relationship. In the world's way, it's it's kind of like, you know, find that person, uh, fall in love, fix all of your hopes and dreams on that one person. And if failure occurs, then repeat one through three, find that person, <laughs> fall in love, fix all your hopes on them. God's way says, why don't you become that right person? In other words, become that right person in the eyes of Christ. You walk in love. In other words, you, you, you instead of falling in love, you walk in love that, that you put on love and everything that you're doing. You emulate the way Christ was. You fix all your hopes and dreams, not on an individual, but on God. And if that doesn't fail, then you repeat steps one to three. Become that right person, walk in love, and fix all your hopes and dreams on God. Because I think for many of us, you know, if we know that um, our vision sets the course of our lives, then we have to know what the vision that the world is setting for in marriage. And I think for many people, I'm not diminishing the responsibility that both Amber and Johnny Depp have, but I do think that many people are buying into this lie of what the world defines as marriage, Um, not to mention the other value systems that they're creating, but simply what the world defines as marriage as opposed to what God's idea of marriage is, and Mm -hmm. they are totally different. Um, and I think that's why every 13 seconds right now we're having a divorce take place. Um, and it's 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 concerning. It's concerning on a number of levels. Um, I want to take a break right now on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. We'll be back with uh, Father Nick Lowe and uh, Dr. Roxanne Lowe. We'll be right back. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.
And we're back on Lighthouse Faith Podcast with Dr. I mean, Dr. Roxanne Lowe and uh, Father Nicholas Lowe. They are married, and in the Greek Orthodox Church, uh, you can, um, priests are married. They get married before they become priests, so I have to keep reiterating that. And they are a team. They really do work together, understanding the psychological aspects of faith and understanding the faith aspects of psychology, and I think that's why it just kind of goes together. Um, Before we were talking about that, it's not, uh, most of the world does not understand um, the, uh, they have a different understanding of what marriage is as opposed to what God's understanding of marriage is. So so um, what is marriage? And from a, from God's point of view, what is marriage, um, Father Nick? Well, I think it's so important to remember this principle, Lauren, and that is that you can always tell how important something is in someone's life by the priority they place on it. And if we're looking at the priority that God places on marriage, listen to this. The very first chapter in the book of Genesis in the Old Testament, or in the Tanakh, as our uh, Jewish brothers and sisters refer to it as, a family is created, Adam and Eve. In the very first chapter of the book of Luke in the New Testament, um, in in the Christian scriptures, there's a family, Joseph and Mary, and the child Jesus. The very first miracle that Christ um, performs at is at a wedding, the, the connection of two people, a husband and a wife, and the creation of a family. And so Christ placed a tremendous priority that in, that in the annuals of history, that the book, that the Holy Bible, um, that is what brings and what shapes in many ways the manual of how all of us are called to live, has as its first chapter in both of these books, the old and the new, the importance of marriage, the importance of what family should look like. And so for us in the Orthodox tradition, um, in fact, even at a wedding service in the Orthodox Church, there isn't this understanding that uh, it's not just this, you know, will you, Roxanne, take Nick to be your lawfully wedded husband to have and to hold, as we oftentimes hear in the West. Mm -hmm. In fact, in the early tradition, much like that of Joseph and Mary, when a spouse, when the husband would give a ring or called what we would call today the betrothal, that was where the husband would ask that person to get married to them. But a wedding service, especially in the Orthodox uh, Christian tradition, the second largest church in the world, it is um, a wedding service is the couple is marrying Christ. Mm. They become the bridegroom. So there's very there's actually not a time in which the couple is asked, do you want to take the I mean, there's a brief sentence as a as a preliminary question. But most of the services are talking about how the couple become one, that the two become one and they're marrying Christ. And I think that's a great understanding about really what marriage is, is that our marriage is not just to ourselves. We are almost in many ways dying to ourselves to become one with Christ and that everything that we're doing is living for him. And as I mentioned to you earlier, he becomes that lighthouse. He becomes what the couple is yearning for. And it becomes in many ways, Lauren, a small church. Mm -hmm. In the Orthodox uh, wedding service, one of the things that it does in addition to just the praying and, and reminding the couple that you're marrying Christ, it also challenges them on three separate occasions that the responsibility of that couple is to be a little church that makes a difference in the world. Just like the big church makes a difference in the world, one of their missions is to do that. So also is that couple. In fact, when the prayer says that you have been blessed in so many ways so that you can go out and help those who are in need. So marriage is not just about the two of us. It's about our relationship with Christ as well as our relationship with others. That's interesting because I remember, you know, because I grew up in the Protestant tradition and my husband is Greek Orthodox and we got married in the Greek Orthodox Church and I was really 
shocked, not shocked, but very surprised that we said no vows, that the priests did everything. Um, and that I was, I mean, it explained to me, and I totally believe that and understand it now, that it was about, um, you know, that if you're standing on God's holy altar, um, you've already, you know, kind of been married. I mean, you're there and you are now married. Like you said, you're marrying Christ together. Um, one of the things that, um, you know, people talk about, and, and, and maybe you can debunk this, you know, like we're talking about, is there one perfect person for everybody out there? Um, or are some people going never going to be married? Or is it too much to kind of put all of your hopes into finding a perfect person? Is there Does that sort of thing exist? And, and Roxanne, I think you might be a little, uh, I'd like to hear your take first. You know, I, I don't know if there's, I really don't know that I can answer if there's one perfect person. I mean, I guess that would sort of be knowing God's will. I mean, I wish we were privy to that, but um, mm -hmm. I do believe that we know we've met that person when they help us to become a better person. Um, and that's truly the mission that I think we would be looking for. I would be looking for as a young person walking into marriages, do they make me better? Um, do they mm -hmm. hold me accountable to something more? Do they know how to help me carry my burden, but can they also carry their own load? You know, so that as a unit, as you were talking about earlier, Nick, that as a unit, we chase our purpose um, as a marriage, as individuals, because otherwise the marriage becomes really a derailment toward our purpose. It becomes mm -hmm. something that stands in our way. And rather mm. than helping each other on our path to salvation, we're held back by that person in our lives daily. And, you know, when you really think about spiritual warfare, relationships can be a huge source of spiritual warfare where the wrong person is put in your life who is not <laughs> making you better, who's in fact derailing your mission in Christ um, and gets you further and further away from the person God called you to be. So I do think, you know, when you're looking for that right person, when you're attempting to live in right relationship to God, you live in right relationship to that person, but you're both really, you know, in two people living in right relationship to God, they live in right relationship to each other. They make each other better. And that to me is, is the goal. Can that be found in one person? I don't know. Um, I, I wish I could answer that question, but um, you know, I know that when you pray about it, oftentimes um, God does bring that person who can fulfill that role into your life. And Father Nick, I, I would guess that you've got, got to make the right prayer. I mean, you shouldn't be praying, you know, God, you know, send me that six foot four um, <laughs> handsome man who, who's got five billion in the bank. I mean, that's probably not a good prayer, right? Right. I mean, I think that that's what we kind of buy into. And we buy, kind of buy into this Hollywood lie that, you know, um, as in the movie Jerry Maguire, when he looks over at her, it says, <laughs> you know, you complete me. I mean, the reality is, is that we also have to have the right expectations that we place on our spouse, because when we are praying for that, we what we're doing is we're set, we're creating in some ways them as an idol. And what we oftentimes idolize later on, Lauren, we demonize. Mm. Um, and so what we um, what we might love about our spouse or the person that we're dating is, you know, when I'm looking at that person, I'm saying, wow, that person loves to have a great time. I love how he is at the games, man. He's just the life of the party. When you're courting them, you idolize that because he makes me laugh. He makes me have a great time. You know, 10 years down the road, when you have a child and on a Sunday, he's watching a football game and he's not there with you or he's uh, preoccupied with not wanting to talk to you, but to watch the game, you end up demonized. It, it becomes something that separates us. So I think what's important is that when we are in prayer is that we're, we're finding people, as Roxanne beautifully stated, is that we find someone that makes me a better version of Christ in me. 
Mm. In other words, I, I need to find that person who is who brings out the Christ in me and the way in which I live my life and the way in which I um, and that I also can bring the best out of them as well. Um, not just what they can do for me, but also what I can what I can bring for them and offer to them. And I think for so many people, uh, so many marriages, I think they're settling for less than what God deserves for that marriage and what God paid for on the cross, to be honest with you. What about um, betrayals? Can any betrayal be forgiven? Can any marriage be put back together after a betrayal? Um, I mean, adultery, even abuse. What What do you say to that? I would say most betrayals uh, can be rehabilitated um, with the right level of motivation and investment in the relationship, um, in the relationship's healing, uh, with the exception of um, the abuse I described earlier, which was the cold calculated, there is no increase in heart rate and blood pressure when they are inflicting uh, violence. Um, That is not rehabilitatable. Um, That's a relationship that we need to leave. and and so and, and you know with addiction so addiction is, is also a part of this sort of situation um addiction in in marriage um can be rehabilitated rehabilitated if in fact that individual is willing to work on that addiction um i think where we see problems is is when people dig their feet in and say no like i'm i'm not working on this and that that is an unhealthy situation to remain in that can then become a derailment for your life and your purpose and so i think we have to be careful in situations that are not healing um you know the goal is always to try to save a, a relationship um but when you see an unwillingness um or a sort of uh, going against healing, um, we sort of have to ask ourselves, is it a healthy uh, decision to stay in a situation that's going to derail not only their life, but mine and the relationship um, and the relationship's purpose in this world? What about, I mean, I you just, go ahead, go I ahead. Just, yeah, I was just gonna add, Lauren, I think that for, um, you know, obviously we, we never wanna diminish the power of God's ability to heal um, or to rehabilitate anyone. I mean, he took uh, a murderer like St. Paul and made him one of the greatest missionaries in the, you know, and writes most of the, uh, or a large portion of the New Testament. I think what, I, I think to Roxanne's point, I think um, sometimes in marriages, when you're dealing with someone who is so broken, sometimes continuing to stay in that marriage or in that relationship can actually, can actually, uh, inhibit that person from getting the healing that they need. Um, so we're not saying that that person cannot be truly rehabilitated or healed, but we also saying be careful because sometimes you staying in that relationship can perpetuate the problem um, and not get the person the, need, the help that they need. Um, and ultimately, if we're all about trying to bring that person closer to Christ, and sometimes um, love is freedom. I have to separate mm-hmm. and allow that mm-hmm. person the freedom that they need to get the help that they deserve. I'll walk with them through that. I will journey mm-hmm. with them as the Bible talks to them. Mm-hmm. I will walk them, but, but you staying in that relationship. Uh, uh, Roxanne says this beautiful line, a lot, oftentimes when we do marriage retreats around the country, she says, you know, remember that sometimes it's better to come from a broken home than to be in a broken home. Wow. And so that's something that I think is so important for your listeners to know. Should, that, that should, your, fir- should your first inclination is to just work on forgiving. I mean, like, let's just take adultery. I mean, I know marriages that have dissolved over adultery because the person had an affair. And so they left the marriage. Would it have been better to stay and work it out? Is that something that you would recommend or would you recommend just leaving the marriage? Well, you know, again, even with affairs, there's the accidental affair, um, the one that we we made a bad decision in the in the height of a moment. The emotions were involved. We didn't choose well, but we really later regret, and um, we want to save the marriage. 
Absolutely. But then there's the values driven affair where this isn't really that big of a deal. My integrity is at stake. My morals are at stake. Um, I uh, may be a serial offender. Um, and, and so I really think it kind of gets down to the root of what what drove that affair and what is my response to the affair? Mm -hmm. um, because I have seen the serial offender and I've seen the accidental affair and I've treated both. And, you know, the first has good outcome and the second never does uh, because it's a values driven decision. And so at the end of the day, that value is, is what's driving that marriage into the ground, um, not the symptom. Yeah. The other thing, though, this is an, this is a big question because I brought up Pope Francis talking about, you know, that, you know, let's save sex for marriage. And, you know, in this day and age, people go, what, really? <laughs> I can't believe that he's so antiquated. And this is the problem. He doesn't understand sexuality. The church's problem in general. Um, and I, you know, I'm not if, is sex outside of marriage not a good thing or is it OK? I think, you know, let me be very clear. I think um, for me um, and for us, I would uh, I would argue that, um, yes, um, sex outside of marriage is not something that we would want or encourage in any way, shape or form, because what it does is it allows that act in many ways. Uh, you know, I, I oftentimes tell people that in every one of us, we all have a king that we're worshiping. Uh, that king, um, we'd love to think, especially for those of, of faith, we may think our king may be the God that we worship. Um, in our case, it may be Christ. But for many people, what we are worshiping is the flesh. It is this bottle bodies. For others, it could be uh, money. It could be sometimes we're worshiping ourselves. When you allow something to sit in a chair that only Christ should sit in, mm -hmm. then you allow that to become the king of your life. And so sex prior to marriage, what it does is it allow it allows an interruption. It allows something, the flesh, to sit in a place where God says that only he should sit. And in a relationship that's built on much more than, than the flesh, our argument would be is it, it, uh, allowing yourself to withdraw, with, to, to, um, to, you know, remain um, not being in sexual acts prior to marriage, it allows a level of discipline in the relationship that you otherwise lose. And if you can't be disciplined about something like this, our body, our flesh, then you have to ask yourself, who's sitting in God's chair? Mm. Ultimately, who's sitting in the king's chair? And the very first sermon, um, Lauren, you might have heard me say this at the retreat, um, the very first sermon that Jesus ever preaches is simply nine words. It says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And what it means is not turn and or you're going to burn in hell. It, it means repent means change the direction, change who's sitting in that chair from who you think should be in there, the flesh, the money, the pride, the values that you believe in, and put Christ back in there and let him be your guidepost. And the statistics, I will tell you, um, are overwhelming. I mean, just simply taking Christ out of the out of this, which we don't want to do, but in this situation, it is overwhelming that marriages in which people are having sex prior to marriage overwhelmingly have a higher increase of divorce wow. than those who are not. So it's so this idea that I'll better know my spouse if I'm sleeping with them is a lie that you've been told and that you're simply believing. It's a deception. Um, so that those are those are just some statistics that I think that are very important. In addition to what Christ would be telling us that what we should be doing, because it's a sacred um, and a holy act that we do when we are intimate like that, when we're the most vulnerable as we are in that intimacy that we have between our with our spouse. Wow. Wow. Uh, Roxanne, do you have any thoughts on that as well? 
I mean, listen, you know, the act of sex, as much as we can describe it as sort of this, you know, beautiful sanctity of marriage, we have to also recognize is a physiologically driven behavior that's very reinforced uh, of the flesh. It's, it can be highly distracting in a relationship. Um, and just like if somebody were to approach their diet or dietary needs with Doritos and Cheetos and sugar, you know, they may lose control. They may not set their bodies up to respond well later on. And they may wonder, why am I struggling so much? You know, the world put this in my life. Well, yes, the world sets us up to fail everywhere we look. Um, and we have to be smarter than our bodies, smarter than our minds. And we have to make intentional choices that set us up for success. And sex can be a very strong distraction that's physically driven, um, that does not put our soul in charge. It puts our body in charge. That's a dangerous place to be. You know, it's why we don't want to eat Cheetos and Doritos all day. We, we want to be in control of our bodies. Um, and so, again, using that, like, understanding of how our body works, God made our bodies perfectly, but we don't understand them. We fall prey to all of these temptations that the world sets us up to fail in. Um, and sex is, is, is very much one of those places uh, before marriage. Wow. Um, before we go, I just want to reiterate what, uh, just tell people where your website is and how they can find your book um, and tell us more about that. Thank you again, Lauren, for the invitation to be with you um, today, as always. Um, yeah, you can find out about our book. Um, it's on Amazon, um, um, and it's called Renewing You, a, Pri a Priest, a Psychologist, and a Plan. And we called it Renewing You because, you know, unlike a lot of self-help books that kind of just simply say, well, if you just simply do this, then it'll automatically do this. Um, we, we, we purposely put that I-N-G at the very end because we wanted the reader to know that this, that growth in faith is a continual growth you're constantly learning just like as we are physiologically growing also our faith should be continually growing so this renewing is really bringing us back to the newness that christ created us in the bible it says that you were created a new in christ jesus so it's kind of bringing back that whole newness that christ um has has given us through the through his death and his resurrection and as i mentioned at the top of the show is that we we basically have taken eight topics that we hope we think that most people go through at some stage in their life and they and that some of you may be experiencing as you're listening to the show tonight or today um i would encourage you though to check this book out it's, it's got very good ratings we have people like the president of chick-fil-a uh, endorsed it gary chapman a new uh, the author of the five love languages endorsed the book um and all of the proceeds by the way of the book are going to outreach ministries that are very important to us um and so something that, that one of which is the American Cancer Society that um, both of our dads were diagnosed with cancer the exact same week and this became really the impetus in us writing the book it became very therapeutic for us to write something during our trial and so a lot of the funds go towards the American Cancer Society um, and we encourage you also to check out our website at thelows.com. That's L-O-U-H-S.com. We can uh, find out more about where we're speaking at, our next retreats, as well as to receive our daily inspirational messages that are under that subscribe button um, in the top right corner of the website. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Nicholas Lowe and Dr. Roxanne Lowe. Thank you so much for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. It's just been a treat to talk with you today. Thanks so, Thanks, Thanks so much. Take care. Lauren. And thank you all for listening to Lighthouse Faith Podcast. I'm Lauren Green. Have a very blessed day. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.